Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, your Tampa Bay Rays are going 162-0. They win on opening day in Miami, one to nothing behind the stellar pitching of new ace Tyler Glass now. And a solo homer by Austin Meadows will recap how that went, and how the bullpen closed it out. And the Tampa Bay Lightning broke their three-game losing streak by rallying down 2-1 to one in the third period. Ross Colton and Braden Point with some goals in the final six minutes. Bucks GM Jason Light met the media to talk about Tom Brady's rehab, the fifth-year option they plan to pick up for Vita Veda. And, oh, yeah, he's not going to draft a kicker this year. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer – Steve Versnick. So, Steve, it was win-win for the uh, Rays and the and the Lightning on Thursday. And opening day, of course, took center stage, I guess, in Major League Baseball. I must say, I, I had pretty good confidence that Tyler Glass now was going to pitch well. I had no idea he was going to pitch the best game of his Major League career. Um, he was just unhittable. And, you know, if not for some tightening of his back, I guess, which only bothered him pretty much when he ran or when he uh, tried to swing the bat. He didn't. He wound up not swinging it, uh, as the case may be. But um, just just filthy stuff. He goes six innings. What does he give up? One hit uh, that didn't leave the infield. And, um, you know, if he didn't look like an ace, I don't know what, what one is. And, of course, Austin Meadows with the only run of the game on a solo home run. Um, this was this was Rays baseball. This is how they won last year, and they picked right up where they left off. Well, you buried the lead. I mean, not only are they going to go one sixty-two and zero, but they're going to have an ERA of zero point zero zero for the season. <laughs> I mean, right. that's record setting there. That's right. I mean, no. you know, they were third in ERA last year. They're going to be obviously number one. <laughs> not giving up a run. I mean, you see teams you saw teams scoring eleven and fourteen and everything else today in baseball. Yeah, I mean, there was you know. there were some runs. Yeah. Although I'll get to one of my observations. Uh, this is now the new dead ball era. Let me just tell you. Um, I know there were some home runs and, and Meadows hit one, I think, that would have gone out all, uh, of a lot of parks. Um, listen, the Rays still give me – I don't know who said this was the best offensive team they may have ever had. It seems like it was a long time ago. Oh, yeah, that was me a day ago. Um, nothing in this game would lead you to believe that they're going to score a ton of runs, but it doesn't matter because the Rays are the Rays, and they just they, – they grind out wins. They – get the big hit, I guess, at least in this game when they needed it. I think they're going to hit. I mean, Brandon Lau looked pretty good at the plate. Um, not many other great swings, you know, in, in that ball game. But you got to credit, you know, Miami as well. Their pitching was pretty good. But, you know, you come in, you think, how's Glass now going to handle the moment? He did not look nervous. Uh, he said he wasn't nervous. Um, you know, was was excited about about being the opening day starter. And, you know, the slider that he has added to this 12-6 to breaking ball and, of course, the 100-mile-an-hour, his last pitch in the sixth inning because he emptied the tank was 100. Um, And so it's just – I'm telling you, folks, it's almost unfair when he can throw strikes the way he did, you know, on Thursday. It was just – he just had those hitters tied in knots, really. 
he was filthy. That 12 mm. 6 breaking ball, just, I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. you, you can't swing at that. And yet it's right down the middle by the time it lands on, over the plate. It, mm-hmm. It's, it is just filthy. Uh, but you know, here's the other thing we buried the lead on. We all agree spring training games don't count. Right. Last game, the starting pitcher who was filthy mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to go past two times in the order. Mm-hmm. The next game today, Tyler Glass now gets a third batter in the order. Hmm. Did Kevin Cash learn something from game six of the World Series? No, he only got one batter, got through the six, and then they took him out. Right. But he did face a batter for the third time, which Blake Snell did not get that option. Well, he did, and, and I, I'm. it's a little too early to know. If you get back to the World Series, that's the only way you'll really know if Kevin Cash learned his lesson because that's when it matters the most. But for game one, look, I think that Glass now, except for the six up-downs that, that might have been a lot, I he threw 77 pitches, I think. I mean, he mm-hmm. was so efficient. He was he was a strike thrower from the first pitch. And yep. and had he not had some back tightness and the fact that it was game one um, and how far do you want to stretch a guy out, he certainly had you know plenty of it in his arm and plenty of an, an, an economy of pitches that he could have gone back out there and may have if it had been a different part of the year. But, um, but, you know, Kevin Cash turned it over to his bullpen. And that's the other thing. Like, you didn't know exactly how that was going to go, and it went just fine. I mean, Fairbanks was the only guy that got a couple base runners and got out of that jam. Um, Diego Castillo looked great, you know, closing out the game. They're going to be fine. I think, you know, I'm anxious to see how these other pitchers, you know, throw the Michael Wakas, and you're going to get, you know, Kyle Yarborough, you know, today, but um, eventually we'll see Chris Archer and, you know, Rich Hill and some others. Yeah, they're going to be game three. They'll be, they'll be sun, or Saturday's game. So, yeah. But I, but I look, I think they're going to be able to, to manage this. I think they have plenty of great arms, both, you know, starters, bulk guys. And, you know, John Ramona, Romano wrote a column uh, for opening day that was, you know, the, the coming attractions are almost as good as what you're watching now. There's some really good arms um, that -hmm. did not start the season on the major league roster that are inevitably going to get here, you know, be it through injuries or, or just promotion, but they, you know, it's always with the Rays. It's, it's not the 25 that beat you. It's the 40 that beat teams Mm -hmm. like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. So um, yeah, just a, just, it's another one to nothing game for the Rays to start the season with. And um, you know, I, I, it was entertaining. I didn't know where, how it was going to go. I mean, like I said, both teams, both teams battled, played, played clean, clean games in the field. Um, there's something about opening day. You know, they they could have lost this game and won the next 161, and nobody would remember it. Um, but I, I don't know. It just it feels different somehow. And I've seen teams lose on opening day and then win the series. You know, three out of four, and the reverses can be true too. But there's something about opening day that sort of sets a tone mm-hmm. and, and these guys really look like just their whole temperament. I mean, even when Meadows hit the home run, you had, you know, Willie Adamas and Kevin Kiermaier, those guys jumping over the rail, you know, just the same enthusiasm, the same sort of celebration that we're used to seeing. They enjoy playing the game. They enjoy doing, you know, being together. It, it just, it reminded you, and I suppose it should, uh, of last year. And, Suddenly, Blake Snell 
and Charlie Morton don't seem like such big losses for a day. When you have a Tyler Glass now go out there, now they're going to need Waka, they're going to need Yarbrough, they're going to need Archer and Hill and all those guys to do it. But you just feel confident that that the Rays, you know, their way works for them, and they're going to be they're going to be in it again. I think they got enough arms. I think that you know they can cover the innings and, and pieces through. Mm-hmm. What they can't afford is more losses to the high leverage guys. That's true. You know they've got enough arms to get through a season, but do you have enough guys that can handle the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning against the three, four, five hitters of the other teams, the Yankees, or you know, pick your team, the Blue mm-hmm. Jays, which have a you know tremendous lineup. You know, losing Nick Anderson for at least half the season, if a Fairbanks or Castillo or you know more of those guys go down, mm-hmm. then it gets a little dicey, I think, for the Rays. Um, and granted, there may be others that step up. I mean, there, you know, anytime someone gets hurt, there's an opportunity to see who can handle that situation. True. You know, I remember a few years ago, Ryan Stanek, tremendous mm-hmm. stuff, pitched tremendously as an opener, but couldn't handle the seventh, eighth or ninth innings. That's right. He just, whether mentally or, or whatever it was, he wasn't as nearly as effective as when you put him in the opener role, in which he he was lights out in. But you get that high leverage situation, and and he wasn't able to to handle that very effectively like he did the early innings. Do they have more guys that can step in and do that if they start losing more of those back end guys? That's that's what worries me on the pitching staff. It's not the starting staff. I think they've got enough arms and, and to cover the innings, and and I think you know Chris Archer will be fine. I think Rich Hill will be fine. I don't. You're not going to be. I don't think they're going to pitch like Charlie Morton did last year, and, and you know that, but. They'll get through the innings. They'll get everything covered. It's can you handle the later innings, the high stress innings, you know, whether that's the seventh or the eighth or the ninth. You know, as the Rays like to match up. If your three, four, five hitters are coming up in the eighth, that's when your your best pitcher is going to play. Right. Pitch. Um, but you know, do they have enough guys to handle the high leverage? That's going to be the question if they sustain more injuries in the back end. Well, they got a lot of you know the the stable is full, right? He's got a lot of guys that can throw a hundred down there, but he's also got you know, different arm angles and, you know, left-handed, right-handed, you name it. But I think, I mean, if if you were just to look at it today, I think the way it went in, in the opener with, with Fairbanks and then Castillo, depending on what's the highest leverage inning in, in the matchups, I think you're going to see that. I think that, I think that was a glimpse of what the A bullpen will look like um, moving forward. Now we'll see, you know, it's a long season. There's a lot of guys that can pop in and out of those those roles, but for game one, you know, to to, to go the way he did, um, you know, at the time a zero zero game. Mm-hmm. Don't forget know, Ryan after, Thompson too. Ryan Ryan today. Thompson, yeah, came in and did a nice job. I mean, I'm not a big Ryan Thompson guy. Like I think sometimes the guys that that throw sidearm and and you know uh, all that kind of thing can get can flatten the ball out a few times, can give up some home runs and 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 lose control. Quite frankly, I mean. There's a lot of motion, a lot of movement, so I get I get why they're effective. But he pitched really, really well. And, you know, hey, that's that's what this team is built on, pitching and defense. So, you know, it was a great start for them. And, you know, they've got a long way to go. They've got games in Miami, then they go to Boston before, you know, they come home and face the Yankees in the, um, you know, the, the home opener, uh, I guess, next week. But uh, you know, it was exciting, man. It was it just baseball was back. You know, that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Like every TV I had on, uh, all the games were on and there were fans there. 
And and even though there were only just a little over 7,000 in, in Marlins Park, uh, but all around baseball, I mean, remember we sat here, you know, when they finally did begin to play um, and it just, it just seemed so odd, you know, um, a 60 game season, no fans, all the protocols. And in fact, we are not past it. COVID is not done. The Washington Nationals game against the New York Mets had to be postponed. They had four uh, people on that roster, uh, be it, I guess, coach or players that, um, that were, you know, that apparently had had some positive tests. So, uh, here we were on opening day. That was supposed to be an ESPN game, and there was no game. So it's it's still going to happen. We're not past it yet. Hopefully, we get there. It was great having the having the fans limited as it was back, you know, in the ballparks. And um, like I said, as we progress through the summer, you'd like to think that you could have full stadiums and things like that. But um, so far, so good, man. It was a, it was a really solid opener for them. And what is it with the Rays? Every time they go to the World Series, the next year they open on the road. Because <laughs> well, it was the last time the Rays had opened on the road was 2009. That's right. I don't that's, know what I don't know what baseball chooses to do that for, but I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm it's, it's the first time since I've lived here that they they opened on the road. I mean, I uh, moved here in 2010, so yeah, they've uh, always I, opened at home, so it was kind of weird. I'm anxious to see what uh, what the NFL does to the Bucks because it just might be a Tampa thing. We might just go back to we can't have nice things if they won't let these teams. Uh, play a home game after they make it to the World Series or to uh, the Super Bowl, but that that seems to be what's going on here. So, but but I do like that they they're going to raise the banner with the Yankees in the house. That is oh, raise two banners. Yeah, well, yes. How about that? How about how about they have to stand out there for about twelve to fifteen minutes when the first one goes up slowly for the AL East? That might be the longest uh, American League championship ceremony ever. <laughs> Oh, it would be. And how many times, by the way, would you would you show Brasso going deep on oh. Chapman while he's standing there and just, you know, the Rays are going to the World Series. Yeah, they are. You know how they have those cameras that focus on one play? They'll have one on Chapman the whole time. The whole time. Split yeah. screen. Split yeah. screen. Yeah. yeah. As he throws the ball over his behind his ear and then, then he goes yard on him. Um, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun next next whatever it is next Friday. Friday, I guess. Yeah, yeah, next Friday at uh, three or four o'clock. I don't remember which time. It's one. Of, but think about this afternoon. If everything goes right, we will have a baseball game somewhere between now and October. How awesome is that? You won't wake up a day without there being a game someplace. It's just incredible. That's you got to love that. Other than yeah. the All Star break, but the All Star, yeah, right, exactly. We Although we'll, by the All Star break, hockey might still be in the Stanley Cup final. The NBA playoffs will still be going on because they're they're all going to be pushed back a, a about a month this year. So that's true. It could be you could might have like you know Stanley Cup final game seven opposite the All Star game. That, that's true. That's very Which would true. Be weird. <laughs> well, it was it was a Tampa Bay doubleheader sweep as soon as the Rays were done, flipped over to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They break their three-game losing streak. Was not easy. Looked like it was going to be a four-game losing streak. Columbus is just a tough team to play. And, you know, John Torrella has those guys playing well all of a sudden, not giving up very much. Um, you know, they they were up, and then they were down. They're down two to one. They're in the third period, and it's late. It's six or seven, you know, five or six minutes to go. And this Ross Colton kid, Steve, I don't know much about him other than every goal he scores, and he has six points on the season, three goals, three assists. They're all enormous goals. Mm-hmm. Like I think the first one was a shootout goal. Well, that's uh, not even that doesn't count as three goals. But yes, he did have a shootout goal. Right, he scored, that, that, he scored that a goal in his first game. He scored a goal in his first game. That's right. 
And then he had the shootout goal in Dallas. Right, which doesn't count. Yep. Yep, he scored two cents. Right. And, I mean, they're all big. And, the, I mean, the, the goal that he had, you know, to tie the game, um, I, I was – it did not look good. There, Yeah, there were still six minutes to go and all of that. Um, but they still they, they, they still turned the puck over too much. They had some odd man rushes. Overall, I thought they played pretty good. Vassy was great again. Um, he certainly saves them. But, you know, well, when they – Vasilevsky won this game because that second period was ugly for the Lightning. It was ugly, yeah. The other two periods they played fine. Right. The second period was ugly. A lot of shots. Again, he faced a lot of shots. A lot of rushes, a lot of bad coverage, a lot mm-hmm. of missed assignments. Um, you know, that's what you worry more. I mean, you know, team comes down and makes a great shot, right. gets a tip, a deflection. It's, okay, fine. Right. But when you're giving up a lot of odd man rushes and two on zeros on a power play and right. and just, you know, it was that second period was just a mess getting out of their zone. Yeah. Um, you know, they couldn't cross the blue line with the puck. Right. Uh, but but Vasilevsky kept them in the game. And, and then ultimately, Victor Hedman saved the game. Oh, he did. Uh, with a tremendous save on the goal line, which uh, I had forgotten. John Cooper mentioned in the post game. It was a couple of weeks ago, Victor Hedman got robbed that way. He did. He thought mm-hmm. he had a goal. And, and I, I think it was Nashville. It was against it. They, they knocked, you know, so, so one of the defensemen or forwards knocked it off the goal line. Right. Instead of going in. So. Um, but Andre Vasilevsky was tremendous on Thursday night, and that's that's why they won that game three to two. Yeah, no, I would agree, and and you know they they still got clutch goals. And the other thing that happened was I thought Braden Point came alive. You know he's yes. he's kind of been he as Cooper says he has the puck on his stick a lot. Two hundred foot player. I still love the way he carries it into the zone. Um, you know they had been kind of going east west a lot. He got them going north south in this game. And he just hadn't been rewarded for a lot of shots that he's put up, but he finally got a couple to go in, and and um, he played really great, you know. And when he was he's flying, he was flying around the ice. Yeah, when he's skating like that, you know, when he can carry it into the zone like that, and they don't have to like shove it up against the boards and you know hope it gets chipped in deep and all. That, I mean, that's such a such a big boost for them, and they they didn't take many penalties. I don't remember if they even had. One, I don't. I'm not even sure, but I know they had a couple of power play opportunities. Scored Kalorn on a power a play. They did. Kalorn had a penalty. Kalorn did have one. You're right. But they and the, the Lightning scored one of the goals. Was a yeah, was scored a on the five play. on three. Mm-hmm. That's right. So they they got some breaks there, and they had mm-hmm. you know they had some bad luck too. They had some some shots hit the post and things like that. Yes. But overall, um, you know they I, I I felt like they needed they needed to win this one. I just felt you know. They're a better team than Columbus, and and four in a row certainly doesn't sound, um, you know, better than than having lost three in a row. So now you snap that streak, you get back on track. Um, they've got a back to back games over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday, uh, so that won't be easy. But you know, this was a this was a feel good win, and they're and they are right where you want, where they would want to be. They're they're tied atop the standings with fifty points. Um, 52 now, 52. 52. That's right. Both both them and Florida, I guess, Yep. have 52. So, you know what? They're right where they want to be. Yeah, they've overall. got a 13-point cushion on fifth place in the division, mm-hmm. which is the cutoff for the, play, the top four to make the playoffs. So, right. you know, they're sitting pretty. But, yeah, I mean, you want to keep munching points. Ryan McDonough was back. That was tr- that was great. That was huge, yeah. Uh, Jan Ruda was not. He didn't practice. Uh, mm-hmm. Wasn't at practice today either at the morning skate. Mm-hmm. Um, so currently on the, on the back end, Chernak, who skated a little bit before the morning skate and then kind of 
didn't the rest of the time. He's out still. Root is out. So the Lightning did recall a defenseman from Syracuse for the taxi squad, Ben Thomas. So you wonder if maybe, you know, Chernak or Ruta, one of those aren't more long-term than than we think. I wonder how long before Colton, I know it's a numbers game, might force his way more permanently on this roster. Well, I mean, right now he is. Now when right. Mitchell Stevens comes back, and he was a full participant yesterday at practice and kind of led the morning skate post-stretching routine on Thursday, he's close to coming back. That's going to be the, the, the termination is, you know, Mitchell Stevens probably going, hey, I want my job back. Yeah, he does. But Ross Colton's going, I mean, you ain't taking it from me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which, you know, for the coaches, for the team, that's good. You want young guys challenging. For sure positions. you do. Um, you know, for Mitchell Stevens and Ross Colton, it's going to be a battle. And, and, you know, Matthew Joseph, too, although, you know, he's got 10 goals on the season. He's playing very well. I mean, the, the, thing, the thing that may be hard for Mitchell Stevens to get back in the lineup regularly is that Colton, Joseph, and Maroon have a tremendous chemistry together. That fourth line is what's carrying them right yeah. now. I mean, yeah. and you talk about, you, you mentioned that the team's doing a lot of east-west. That line goes north-south. Yes, it does. Actually, they just go north. <laughs> That's right. They don't go south. They That's go right. north, and, and they do it effectively. And, right. you know, they're not waiting for the perfect shot. They're just going. They go get the puck, and they go put it on the net. Mm-hmm. And it's working. I mean, Joseph's got 10 goals in the season. Ross yeah. Colton's got three. Pat Maroon's a tremendous addition, you know, mm-hmm. player on that line for them. I mean, his passing and his hands. He's not the fleetest, you know, a Not foot, the best skater but, in the world, yeah. yeah. But everything else he does um, mm-hmm. is tremendous with that line. And they just have a really good chemistry. I mean, you know, they, early in the season, you know, it was Joseph was centering it and Volkov was on the wing and they tried Barry Boulay. They tried, and it was okay. And Joseph did fine as a center, although he's not a natural. He hadn't played center since juniors. Mm-hmm. But him on the wing with Colton at center and Maroon on the other wing, it's working. And it's, it's, they're, it's most of the time their best line. At, at this point in the season. And there's just no no one can match up with them, you know, when you have a fourth line as good as that and as productive as they've been. So, you know, it was fun to watch. And um, we also, uh, just to put a bow, I guess, on all three pro sports teams here in Tampa Bay, Jason Light uh, met with the media a little bit on on uh, Thursday, and he – you know, didn't really break any any huge news. Uh, he was asked about Tom Brady's rehab, which he said he talked to Brady the other day. Everything's going well, yada yada. Don't want to put a timetable on it because when you do that and you fail to make it, then all of a sudden everybody's like, "Oh, it's it's a it's a setback." But he said he hadn't had any setbacks yet. And you know, we've heard, you know, some people say like I think Bruce Arians said it might be June before he's he's back throwing again. Others say no, it'll be sooner than that. Maybe maybe as soon as May. We saw him throwing on the beach with David Beckham. Yeah, it looked really bad. He was throwing with David Beckham. But I, I do think that, uh, uh, you know, there's no one that's going to work harder to rehab his knee, obviously, than, um, you know, than Tom Brady. I tell you what, his social media game is not lacking. Did you see he posted – he's posted a couple things that are funny, but he posted um, one uh, of his leg with a tattoo of, of B.A. on it, which I assume was Photoshopped. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to find we'll, out come training. We'll have camp. to meet him, yeah. And then the other one was uh for uh April Fool's Day. There's some good pranks on April Fool's. We can get into Michael Strahan in a minute. But April Fool's Day he uh posted that, you know, he had become uh owner or part owner of the Montreal Expos, a team of course that that, that drafted him out of high school actually. He was uh photoshopped on some in some ballpark, uh dressed up with an expo uh 
And, you know, I got to thinking, like, is that, like, that's that's bad on many levels, right? Like, one, we, we know you're not a baseball owner, but then you pick the Expos, which really is Montreal that Tampa Bay is talking about leaving leaving Tampa Bay for half a season and going to Montreal. So it was all over the place as far as uh, – Well, it had so many levels go. to it because of that. Because yeah. of Tampa Bay is talking to Montreal about a part-time plan. Right. About He was drafted by the Expos in high school. Exactly. Um, and chose to you know play football, mm-hmm. um, you know, just so many levels to it that it's uh, either genius or evil, right? <laughs> or I maybe mean, both. A little of both. I mean, uh, yeah, I think it was it was well done, but but almost too well done. It kind of strikes strikes a nerve. So, um, but I guess he's he's doing okay. And then, not a surprise. I think uh, Jason was asked, "Hey, uh, no real reason why you wouldn't pick up the fifth year option for Vita Vea, which of course they will. Um, uh, that that will be guaranteed uh, against injury only. But he's in his fourth year of his rookie deal this year, so they pick up the fifth year option. They have they have until May to do that. Uh, that'll guarantee him one more year under contract before he would reach free agency, which is the real plus for for you know having a guy in the first round." as productive as Vita. So he did say, he goes, the day that we learned that Vita Vea had a, would come back and play for us in the postseason, he goes, might have been the best day of the year. And he goes for everybody because they just knew what that meant. And he was, of course, tremendous uh, in the postseason and created a lot of opportunities for JPP and those guys. Uh, he did talk about the draft, and, and uh, you know, I asked him about picking 32nd. It is a you know, it's good news, bad news. You pick 32nd because typically, unless you've gotten a trade from somebody, it's because you've won the Super Bowl. Um, but it is the final pick of the first round. And and if you remember, you know, players that are drafted in the first first rounds get, get four-year contracts with a team option for a fifth year. That is so huge in the NFL because if you can prevent one of your better players from becoming a free agent, the longer – you can do that. Um, obviously, the more players you can keep under the salary cap, et cetera. So, you know, when you look at it that way and you say, well, Tom Brady, you know, he's got maybe one, maybe two years, you're all in for this. Do you really want to trade down? Because it's a great trade down spot. I mean, New England Patriots did it for years. Um, but I don't think gaining draft capital is as important as getting the best players that might be able to help you now. So, of course, they're not going to say, you know, no, we would never entertain trading it or, you know, absolutely we'd be we'd be fine with letting it go. You want you want everyone to think that you're going to find a player, pick them and be happy. And that's most likely what will happen. Trades are very hard. Um and I think even though you'd have a night to sleep on the next pick whenever that might be, uh I I still think that they'll probably make one. But we talked about that I mean, look, Jason couldn't be happier to have 22 starters back, and it's going to be hard to make this football team. No matter who they draft, no matter who they bring in here, they'll be developmental guys primarily. He hopes they can help them, like Tristan Wirfs or you know Antoine Winfield Juniors did. But there's no, there's really no openings. You know, there's no holes in in their, you know, on, at any position, offense or defense. I mean, when you when you have that many players back, that's not to say guys won't get hurt. You're going to need a good draft class. You're going to continue to replenish the future, and they'll do so. Um, but I don't know where they'll go. And they did, you know, over the last couple of days, they did go to University of Florida and at their and attended their pro day. And um, Byron Leftwich was there, which makes sense. Offensive coordinator, a lot of offensive weapons in in Gainesville. 
And Clyde Christensen was there as well, of course, the quarterback's coach. And so, wouldn't you know, Florida, I think, posted a picture or something that, you know, there was Clyde kind of talking one-on-one with Kyle Trask. And, and, and again, I don't know that Trask will be there at 32. And if he is, I don't know that the Bucks will decide he's the best player on the board for them or not. Um, they're not going to rule out a quarterback, but it is interesting. And, and I do know that the Bucks think highly of Trask. Now, you know, whether they think highly enough of him to take him at 32 or they'd rather have him at 64, wherever their next couple of picks are, that might be the case too. But um, but the information I got was they felt like he had a good workout and the tape is good. That's the biggest thing, right? So you don't know. I mean, maybe a Florida quarterback will stay home and, um, you know, be mentored, if you will, the next couple of years under Tom Brady and they end up, end up with their future quarterback. But is it, it is interesting, and you would expect them to go to these pro days because Florida has a lot of skilled players. It hadn't had a first-round pick, Steve, on offense in 10 years. That seemed possible with all the good Florida teams that they've had. It's crazy to me. That, but, that is nuts. Yeah. But they'll they'll probably be at least two, maybe well, three. Kyle Pitts is going top. I mean, yeah, he'll be the first four player. Five, yeah. First or second player not quarterback taken. I think, I think so. Yeah. Um, what the longest wingspan since they've started measuring it? Yeah, he has just soft hands, and he ran a four four or sub four four, whatever it was, something crazy. He's gained yep. weight. You know, he looks tremendous, tremendous football player, and at a position where, you know, you're seeing the Travis Kelseys and these guys just be uncoverable. But essentially, I mean, he's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. I mean, it's crazy that somebody two hundred and fifty plus pounds can run that well and catch that well. Um, there's no one that's really going to defend him. Intriguing player for sure. But the quarterback position is, is such a value pick that, um, I'm still, I'm still thinking there's going to be maybe the first four picks in the draft may all be quarterbacks, which would leave Kyle Pitts in a really good position for somebody, um, to be taken, uh, up there high in the first round. So, uh, what else happened? I think well, there's one position that they will not be taking at 32. You that's right. That, correct. That's right. Yes. That was it. Jason light declared to everyone, to the world, that uh, while they are open to all positions of best player available, the only one that he will not select is a kicker because he's done that twice, didn't work out so well. You can't blame him. Uh, and they got Ryan suck up. But yeah. He would never select a kicker again ever, even, no. No, even if he desperately needed one. You know, had he not won a Super Bowl, and this is true, mm-hmm. because now he's always going to be – the Super Bowl winning general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's just where his Wikipedia page is going to start, and no one's changing it unless something terrible happens between now and whenever he's done. But had he not won that Super Bowl, more more likely than not, he would have been known early on Mm -hmm. as the guy that drafted not one but two kickers, and and both of them were gone after a year. (laughs) And so, you know, at least Matt Gay was a fifth-round pick. But, yeah, you know, Roberto Aguayo, I mean, that – that would have forever been, you know, hung on him. And, you know, he's got to be awfully relieved. And not only not only has he won a Super Bowl, but he's also found a guy that made 91% last mm-hmm. year of his field goals. So feels pretty good about that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And as we uh, get ready to wrap it up, happy trails to Roy Williams, who is hanging it up at the University of North Carolina, the men's basketball coach. Uh, won national championships there, and I think he won. He won at Kansas too, did he not? Mm-hmm. I, believe. I believe he did. Yeah. So he's cut down the nets a few times, uh, and uh, in his career. But th- talk about a, an attractive job. I don't know. You know, college basketball is sort of in this you know transfer portal world right now, where everybody is is moving around uh, player wise. So I don't know where we're headed with it. But I would think the North Carolina job would be the number one job you know if you could get it right the ad talked this afternoon and mentioned that it's going to be quick uh they're going to move fast on this i mean roy williams retiring i'm sure it wasn't a shock to the ad this has probably been in the works for a year if not more you would think and so i'm sure there's a short list or Mm -hmm. maybe there's already a you know a deal done it could be but you you know you don't want to it's not Roy, you're done. Here's your new successor today. I mean, some of it is, you know, let Roy have his day in the sun and he, that he's deserved. Right. And, you know, you can announce a hire next week or whatever. I mean, you don't, but you don't want to make it too long with the transfer portal and everything else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't, you know, you don't have to sit there the, the same day and, and make that decision or, you know, make that announcement. I, I, maybe it's not done yet, but I'm sure there's definitely a short list. And this isn't uh, an open call of, hey, call us that they probably already know who they want. I would imagine they would, but would you, I mean, would you just give it to Hubert Davis? Uh, I mean, you know? yeah, he did or, say that they've stayed home for a long time in this. I mean, Roy Williams was an assistant under Dean Smith. Yeah. who was at Kansas and came back home and that, that that's, they're considering that, but it may not, it may not stay close to home this time. So Kenny Smith, it, Jerry Stackhouse coaches at Vanderbilt. I'm just going out. Think, I would think, I would point. think they're all possible. I mean, Mm-hmm. Maybe Michael Jordan will start coaching. You know, who knows? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Probably not. I would say no one Michael Jordan. But I bet I bet Jordan will have something to say about who they hire one way or the other. If he chooses to, I'm sure he will. One of their one of their big uh big boosters for sure. And of course his name as synonymous as anybody with the yeah. Jumpman brand and all that. Yeah. Final fours this weekend. Who you got? <sighs> well, look, I, I don't think anybody's gonna beat Gonzaga. And so for that reason, I mean, you have the all-Texas semifinal, right, between Houston and Baylor. I think Baylor – I think it's Baylor against um, Gonzaga, and I think Gonzaga wins. I think Baylor will hang. They're athletic. They block shots. They can run up and – but you don't want to get in a running match with these guys. This is just such a such a great team, such a great college basketball team that could go undefeated. I mean, I, I think they're going to have a fairly easy time of it in the semifinal, and, you know – if it's, I mean, if it's Baylor, it, it could be a competitive game. You know, what's interesting is that this is one of the lowest rated um, NCAA tournaments, t- television ratings wise, there's been. And in the Final Four, there's not a single team on the Eastern Seaboard, which is unusual. Well, I, I think some of the ratings, I think there's several things to deal with that. Um, one, I mean, for instance, your games to go to the Final Four were not Saturday and Sunday. They were Monday and Tuesday. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, you know, the the schedule got shifted because of COVID and, and all the protocols and mm-hmm. getting teams to Indianapolis and then for the women to San Antonio. 
They didn't right. start at the normal day. So everything kind of got pushed back. So I think some of it had to do with, you know, like I said, is, you know, round of th- the first round was, you know, Friday and Saturday, not Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. So the second round is now Sunday, Monday. Well, the Monday ratings, I'm sure, weren't nearly as good. Right. Um, as people are back at work and that. And and so, you know, the games go to the final four, like I said, was was, you know, Monday and Tuesday instead of a Saturday, Sunday. So I think I think that had something to do with it. And I think there's just so much sports on now. I mean, the NBA's in full gear, NHL, baseball was, you know, and, and you know, normally the NBA and NHL still are playing at this time, but I it it just seems like there's so many more games on TV now than ever before. Well, I also I also think that college basketball is suffering. Well, look, mm-hmm. this year in the tournament, you didn't have the Blue Bloods. You didn't yeah. have Duke. You didn't yep. have North Carolina. Kentucky. Kentucky. I mean, those are those are staples, right? They have huge, huge fan bases that, that follow all over the globe, you know, with them. And so when you take those brands out of it, it'd be like taking the mm-hmm. Yankees out of the Major League Baseball playoffs or, you know, that sort of thing. But um, so that – that you start there. And the other thing about college basketball is is you know, with the movement of players now and coaches to some extent, it's hard to know who these kids are. I mean, mm-hmm. for the most part, the best teams are now getting freshmen and playing them right away, you know, uh and knowing that they're not going to be there very long. You know, what do they have to stay one year now? Mm-hmm. And they can go to the NBA. So yep. your your best what what would normally be your best college basketball teams, those guys are already in in the association. So, you know, that what does that leave? And so e- even teams like Duke and Carolina and some of those teams are turning over their roster every year in their yeah. starters every year because they're starting, you know, three freshmen, four freshmen, sometimes five freshman basketball players. There's no continuity. They're getting beat by some of these teams that don't have lottery picks but have been together for a while. Um, so it's tough, but I, I, you used, I could usually name a couple players on Kentucky's team, a couple players on Duke's team. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could do that anymore. Well, and I think the blue blood's not being there. It's huge. I mean, we know that the Durham Raleigh, all that, that area is a huge basketball hotbed. Sure. How much do you think they're watching the tournament with none of those teams? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I went to the university of Cincinnati and, and worked in that media market. That's a huge hot. That's a big basketball hotbed too. There was no Cincinnati, Xavier, no Dayton, Indiana, Kentucky, mm-hmm. Louisville. Ohio State got ousted in the first round. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the the teams that in that basketball hotbed, Cincinnati loves. It's a huge basketball area right by Indiana. None of those teams are in the tournament. I mean, the None. Midwest. I mean, right where you're talking about is the actual heart of basketball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's you know the hoops in every driveway, right? I mean, that's Hoosiers. That's all that stuff. Yep. You know, so you're right. I think with without those teams being represented, even though the tournament is in Indianapolis, the whole tournament, which has been unusual, um, you know, they still love basketball. But, you know, outside of those teams, those teams aren't there. So we'll see. I mean, again, you have a chance to watch history, a team go undefeated, and and that hasn't happened in a very long time. So um, that'll be something to watch. And you know, I'll watch. I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch. I'm a sports fan. I'll watch those games. Mm-hmm. You know, flipping back and forth. Yeah, I think, I think Gonzaga wins. I think. I think Houston. Houston could muck things up for Gonzaga if they can you think upset so? Baylor. I don't think they'll upset Baylor, but yeah, I don't either. I, I think there's a there's a chance that I mean, you know, in order to beat Gonzaga, you're going to have to play tremendous defense. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga's going to have to have an off night, and you've got to have a pretty good night shooting. Right. I mean, right. You know, 
Gonzaga is the best team in college basketball this year. No doubt. But on any given night, you know. But but I think Houston Houston's Houston plays good enough defense where they can muck things up with Gonzaga enough. I think. I mean, they'd have to have a tremendous shooting night in that. You know, I mean, it's that not- would be such a huge upset, though. That would be like North Carolina State beating, you know, Ralph Sampson or whoever. Yeah, well, the, well, the bigger upset would be eleven seed UCLA beating them in the final. Four, well, but- yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, Houston's a good team. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, look, that's why they play the games, as they say. You don't know what's going to happen on any given night. Guy has a bad night shooting. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody gets in foul trouble. It can all it can all fall apart pretty quickly and. You know, um, they keep score. So, I mean, look, these are the four best teams in basketball this year. I just I just don't think that any of them, you know, nationally are, are, are playing that playing, you know, that well to a national audience for all the reasons we talked about. And like I said, I'll watch it. But you know what? I'm more interested in the race. I'm more interested in, um, you know, other stuff that's going on right now. Uh, Major League Baseball, first and foremost. So. No, it helps that our teams here are winning. You know, they're you want to watch the Lightning. You want to watch the Rays. That that's right. Know, they're good teams. They're not you know just average teams. They're good teams. Yeah, Champa Bay, man. That's why we're here. So uh, we'll have the the, uh, the the tournament, of course, uh, NCAA's. That's coming up. The Rays will continue their series against Miami and the Marlins. Yarbrough's on the mound uh, today or this evening, I should say. And then it's on. They go on to Boston after that, and they come back home. Next week, I guess, and we'll have their opener on Friday against the New York Yankees. I hear that's already a virtual sellout. That entire series is a virtual sellout at this point. I think they're going to have seven, 8,000 fans at the trop for that. So it's going to be a busy weekend. We'll talk all about it on Monday on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed uh, the week of shows. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. 